Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour here, your host on episode 33, Future of Sport on the All in Sports Talk platform. Delighted today, first time conversation uh, with a social media colleague all the way from the USA, Dan Rems, who essentially uh, works in the uh, soccer or football space in the USA, educationally, uh, coaching-wise. So I want to begin today's interview, uh, Dan. Just tell us a little bit about what you're doing there in the, in the world of soccer in the USA. Yeah, so I, um, I'm a soccer coach here in the US of A. I work for a company called Global Premier Soccer, which is uh, Bayern Munich's American partner. So... We have clubs all over the United States, um, so I'm based out of New Hampshire. I'm a regional coach, which is just part-time, so I do just coach one team. Um, I work in camps, clinics, do some ambassador work as well. Um, but mainly, you know, it's just coaching at the U15 boys level, the elite level. Um, you know, so like I said, a couple days a week I'm with the boys. Um, and I also coach... Uh, in, my, in my hometown as well, I, I run the rec program for my, my daughter, so a little bit different. So I have that exposure with, with the older boys, you know, more intense, more tactical focus approach, um, and then you know, the more rec level with, with the little kids back in my hometown. Um, and I'd also consider myself as an ambassador for the sport as well here in the U.S. Okay. I, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, what is so, so good about any conversation I have here, it always kind of reveals a lot more than you kind of obviously think. And, you yeah. know, the global platforms that we've got today, you know, I've made many, many contacts, people who I've never met, but you kind of then get in conversation, you meet them, you have an interview, you're talking, and you feel as though you've known them forever. And that's one of yeah. the great facets, I believe, uh, of, of, of sport anyway. But I just want to pick up on something that's really good for me, because you've okay. introduced straight away a kind of global consideration. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about how the Bayern Munich connection came, and, and that really does fascinate and intrigue me, and I'm sure it will for my yeah, sure. So I think that partnership started before I, I uh, you know, became a GPS coach. But I know the, the partnership works both ways, right? So it gets Bar the Bar Bayern Munich brand exposure in the United States. Um, you know, so a lot of our players now, like they look up to the Munich players. Yeah. Um, you know, they support Bayern Munich. You know, Lewandowski, Thomas Müller. You know, those are some of their their players that they look up to. Um, from a coaching perspective, which is great because those are the types of players that I like my boys looking up to um, versus the, you know, Ronaldo and Messi's, which are obviously world-class players, but, you know, they're anomalies, right? Like, the boys aren't going to play like that. Um, and then for our, our benefit, you know, we get the coaching education, um, you know, so we're, we're learning from, from unit coaches, and then there's exposure for our talent as well to have the opportunity to, to go over, you know, to Germany. So, you know, it kind of creates this, this, this connection, right, so overseas connection to a club to support but also provides more opportunity for both the coaching and, and the player's perspective. In terms of education, and, and again, it's another... It's not a first for me because I've been pushing this, not in an agenda, but pushing it very prominently in a lot of the things I do in lots of the spaces I inhabit. And the importance of education in sport, education to sport. And, you know, I make no kind of um, philanthropic or kind of seminal statement here, but I know that education and sport have sat very comfortably in, in the States for, for a long, long time. I mean, maybe here in the UK, 
we, we, we've been uh, not uh, kind of behind uh, the, the, the kind of belief in this, but we, we haven't always pushed it as much as I think we can. So tell me a little bit about the programme there that you uh, work on and, and how education fits in with not from just the coach's perspective, but from the student's perspective as well. So, you know, a lot of the academies here professionally in the UK now have, res- have, have recognised the importance of educating uh, the, the footballers of tomorrow and, and, and the academy players and so on. But I think it's, um, you know, it's kind of en- ingrained and very, very much at the heart of what sport education in, in US sport is about. Tell us more about that. Sure. Um, so I don't have as, as much experience in that academy program where, you know, those high school age kids are spending a lot of their time, you know, um, at the academies training every day. Um, and, but I do I have worked with students, you know, at, at the college level where, okay. where I work um, who have been in like MLS academies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're they're spending a lot of time, you know, at the training ground. And so there's maybe not as much opportunity for, you know, in, in the classroom work. So they, there's online education programs, um, homeschooling, et cetera. And I do know um, in New Hampshire where I am, there is a Seacoast Academy, which okay. a lot of high school age kids play, play for them. And, and they're, they're still fairly local, so they haven't really been taken out of their, their high schools, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, am, I, am I answering your question? Alex? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, what, what I'm trying to um, get from our conversation here, uh, there's no definitive um, yeah. kind of answers or definitive kind of conclusions that we would draw from this. But I think comparisons, just getting a feel for some of the broader pictures that are going to emanate out of, and, and right. kind of as we're discussing it now, another question that kind of. Uh, comes to mind here is how strong belief-wise do you think you know USA uh, soccer as it's known and and, and the development of it as a sport is kind of gathering momentum and and where do you think it's at from kind of grassroots level up to as you've you've touched upon there the MLS yeah yeah so that's a question, right? Because um, really, if you look at a, a park on a Saturday in the United States, yeah. I mean, everyone is playing soccer. Wow, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the participation rates, I don't know the exact numbers, but okay. I mean, it's, it's a pretty popular sport. I'm pretty sure like, it succeeded, um, like American football at the youth level. Um, I think the issue is once you get to a certain point, um, you know, age-wise, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, you kind of have to make that decision. Yeah. Um, and, you know, am I, am I sticking with soccer? You know, what are the long-term uh, benefits? Um, you know, am I going to play in high school? Is there, is there a college scholarship here? You know, the, the, the development system is so different over here where, like, a lot of the, the end game, you know, is, is college. You know, yeah. can this help me get to college? Can I play in college? Which is a completely different, um, you know, system than over in Europe where you have the kids playing in the academies and the end game really is is the professional ranks Absolutely. Um, but here like there's college is almost like that that academy that, that youth or that reserve system set up um, and so and, and you know there's it's just there's so many players here which I think where the coaching education you know come, plays, plays a big role right like are they getting coached the right way because like I mentioned before I'm 
you know, working with the rec, the rec program in my hometown, and that's yeah. a lot of volunteer parents, right? Okay. So, you know, all the power to them. Like, I love that the parents are getting involved, but maybe they didn't grow up playing soccer. They, they, don't, they aren't taking the coaching education courses. They aren't coaching at a high level. So, um, you know, if you're getting taught things, maybe not the right way early on, it can impact you as you get to that, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old age group where you're starting to play against um, on better players. So so I think, you know, a lot of work does have to be done at the grassroots level to just start teaching the kids the right way to play, um, which is part of, I guess, as a parent and a soccer coach, uh-huh. why, uh, um, you know, I do involve myself. Where, like, I do like to sit back and be the parent and watch, but at the same time, you know, I want my, my kids to learn the right way and have fun, have fun doing it, if that makes sense. Absolutely, and I think what you've done there very sensitively, very professionally, and most importantly, I think, very readily in recognising the balances that are needed, you know, as education, as grassroots, as development starts to come. I'm going to introduce the word competition now to you, Dan. And, you know, because you're a... What, what we what we would call it, the, the under-15 level, yeah, where you're doing it there. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of, obviously, the greatest or uh, the professional levels of footballers, as probably we now know, have picked up uh, a, a lot earlier that. But it's not always the case, you know, and there are plenty of examples of, of people, you know, being great at that age and kind of flopping and almost disappearing, you know, when they, when, when they get to uh, 18 or so. What are the greatest, uh, sorry, what, what are the distinctive things that you think are essential in the kind of coaching, education, learning that you give to uh, the players in that kind of setup that you've got there and how much emphasis is placed in balancing maybe competition results against really um, developing skill sets, if you like, Dan? Yeah, so my, my focus... Uh, has always been, and I, you know, sometimes maybe it doesn't show, but is I, I, I try not to emphasize winning as much as the development. Okay. You know, and it's easier said than done, right? Yeah. Like I grew up playing, we all grew up playing, we're, we're competitive, so sometimes you kind of get lost in that moment. Um, but essentially, development is is my focus. Not only just to develop better soccer players, but you know, they're at a, a crucial age in their just personal and emotional development as well. Um, and so I, I kind of take that into consideration as well. Like just, I joke around, like, all right, I'm on the way to practice. I'm going to, you know, try to create decent human beings again today. Um, right. And I think that that is is way more important to me. And just the love for the game of soccer. Like, I knew at that age, at 13, 14, like, you know, I wasn't going to play professionally, you know, but I still wanted it in my life forever. Yeah. And that was because of my exposure to good coaching. And just, you know, beyond just going to practice, but the exposure to the professional game of being able to watch. I was exposed at, at you know, European international competitions at a young age, just watching the World Cup in 1994 as an eight-year-old boy. Um, you know, getting able to see those things that they're, they're growing up with now on a weekly basis. They can watch five, six professional games, you know, a week if they want, which we didn't have. So it's kind of yeah. more teaching them the love of the game and the development and, and um, just kind of being a better person. I mean, one of the things, if I can come in there, uh, Dan, is that 
you know, it's great. And as as I think I've always seen, you know, at very young levels, you you, you use the analogy of lots of people in America, more people than ever, uh, yeah. playing soccer in the parks, etc., etc. But when you translate it through and you, you, you kind of develop making those choices, do you think... Um, you know, for it to become, uh, you know, the, not the national sport per se, because of probably NFL uh, and, and basketball are streets ahead in that regard, you know, traditionally. But what do you think is necessary maybe to move it through, which is why I've kind of touched on the, 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 the competition element, because, you know, America is, is quite readily recognised, you know, uh, winning yeah. is everything and second is nothing, perhaps. But I, 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 we, we could debate that forevermore. But what's your views on bringing Bringing competition more to uh, the American soccer scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one thing we, we la- I think about this a lot, and I think one thing we lack is like a, our own identity yeah. in terms of like, the soccer world. Like we're we're new to this on the national stage. Um, you know, I think, and we're such a, a, a big country as well. Where if you look at, at teams in England, right? I mean, you have nine, ten, whatever teams just in London alone. Yeah. But over here in Boston, like there's six or seven states that are in the market for the New England Revolution, right? So I guess we're missing that that authenticity or or that just, like, local local connection, which I don't want to go down this road. Where maybe where, where a promotion or relegation system, make, you know, creates that, which, um, you know, is in the, in the talks right now, especially as the, uh, you know, the new U.S. Soccer Federation presidency, uh, I think, is being voted on this weekend. That's one of those those items that's being, being thrown around. Um, but I think, and like, like you touched on, right, like the NFL, basketball, like we're, we're the best in those areas. And I don't think the U.S., in the near future, is, is going to be the best at soccer. And I think that might be what, what's holding back some of your traditional uh, sports fans. Yeah. Maybe at the, the older age demographics, you know, the ones that are still watching baseball and, and football. But I know with, with, in the, with the younger crowd, you know, Soccer is probably one of the more, more watched games on on TV. Um, so I think it's a matter of time. Um, but like I said, you know, we're missing that authenticity and like that local flair as well. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I've just had a thought here. I mean, I visit America quite a lot. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably coming over again in March, April time, visit University of South Florida. And, you know, the big, and when they came over to visit us here in November, I mean, the, the evolution almost, or the progression, is everything to, to, to be college, you know, and great golfers get scholarships to go and play golf and get educated, you know, the, the, the same with college um, NFL and basketball and, and, and all the others. Is there uh, a, a belief or is there a, a, an opening perhaps for lots more universities to really develop a soccer professional league that may then in turn start to put this kind of profile of it and just raise the bar, raise the opportunities, expectations and, 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 and maybe crash through a few barriers in that regard. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, I've only just thought about it, so maybe it's a bit of a fastball, curveball question. Well, it's a good question because, um, you know, like, like you said, the... The end result for a lot of athletes in the U.S. is is, is college, right? Am I going to get this education, yeah. which is going to provide those other opportunities for me beyond this sport? Um, and you know, look at the college soccer season; it's from the middle of August through mid December, if you make it all the way to the you know the championship, which doesn't really um, work within the, or match up to the professional calendar, right? The professional calendar year in preseason, at least take it from the MLS perspective. 
um, you know, end of February, early March through November. I mean, that's a lot longer of a, of a season, right? So the college game doesn't really match up to the professional okay. schedule. So I think, I know it's been talked about, but I haven't read up on it in a while, but it's just extending that, that college season, right? Yeah. The, I mean, also, sorry again to come across, this is a fascinating conversation. I mean, you know, I've got you scheduled in for a, a, another 20 minutes or so, so we, we, we can continue the conversation, but this is a conversation. Uh, you've touched upon something there, you know, um, promotion and relegation, and, 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 and I didn't really want to go there, and I'm probably not going to go there. But as a byproduct of that, you know, I always remember... Um, with our with our club, and at some point Liverpool FC is bound to get mentioned, so I'm bringing it into the and bringing it into the piece now. I always remember, you know, uh, sadly in many ways, Hicks and Gillette coming in and, 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 and waving pound notes in front of everyone, and in their very first statement, they talked the franchise horror, horror, you know, because the the whole point of a lot of the involvement in communities. I mean, in, in, in pure, I suppose, essence marketing, as you might call it, tribal branding and all, all the rest of things that go with it. But I think one of the things that they didn't get, and maybe sometimes is not really recognised, you know, Benitez famously says when he had to tell them, you know, we could, not that they ever would, you know, that there's relegation involved, and, you know, and they're kind of thinking, horror, horror. So maybe... How would something maybe like America? I mean, you've not qualified for the for, for the World Cup, but how essential Thanks do you think is, yep. is there is a real, real need to get into this competitive element that you form a structure of a league, you have that competition, and everyone buys into it? Uh, yeah, you know, could you say that again? I'm sorry, I, I made a comment about the the World Cup and then I missed the last part. Well, really, what I'm, I'm trying to get at, I suppose, Dan, ultimately is, will America lose out by not being in the World Cup and do they have to buy in a lot more to the fact that in competitive sport, particularly in the football world, it hinges on promotion and relegation and that is holding back a lot of people. Maybe not necessarily the sponsors and the owners per se, but it does probably limit the number of people coming in because if you've got a ticket for life almost then where's the incentive to grow the sport or where is the other kinds of incentives to get more and more people in because there's no question at all you know football has become you know bill shankly almost kind of it it's more important than life and death and you know the the kind of religious fanatical kind of things it's my club and I'll stay with it. That doesn't exist. Maybe I'm not suggesting it does, but if it started to become more of a an opportunity, so that's my thoughts. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I, I can give um, <clears throat> excuse me a good example of that in, in another sport. You know, and I live in Manchester, New Hampshire. Right. Um, and we used to have a we still have a minor league hockey team in town, um, but they used to be in like what would be considered the second division, right? So they were the uh, minor league team to the Los Angeles Kings in the second okay, division yeah. of the NHL. And a couple of years ago, they did some um, restructuring, and you know that first farm team for LA moved out to California. So now we still have a team in Manchester, but they're now what would be considered, you know, um, league. I guess the comparison to League One. Okay, it, yeah. So the the third level, and the hockey is still really good, but the attendance has just suffered massively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with 
them just not being at that higher level right now. And that's just speculation. I mean, I've heard people talk, but, you know, as soon as they moved down that, that one division, um, and it wasn't even because they suffered. It was just because they restructured which team they want, you know, L.A. wanted where. They didn't, you know, actually their last year as a team in that second division, they won the, the championship, you know. So if you compare it to over in England, they would have been promoted to the Premier League, you know, yeah. but instead they won the championship and then, got moved down to the, the next division below just because of, of for business purposes. And See, the way you've articulated that, again, sorry, uh, Dan, the way you've articulated that is fantastic and f- thoroughly merited in, in the way you do it. But perhaps hinging here, because I know a lot of the argument that has been put forward is if you do get relegated and you, you continue that kind of slide and attendance will be, you know, no one's going to go and support it, then that is a, a, a almost the classic argument against it. But I yeah. draw a comparison, you know, I worked in commercial radio uh, at the outset when it first came into real being uh, in the UK in the 1980s when we had no commercial radio stations you know and we were competing against all kinds of other traditional press media television etc etc and I always draw the comparison that if you looked at America they had thousands and thousands of commercial radio stations and you know what everyone claimed those radio stations they were number one in something and right. the fact is that your second division, your hockey, even though it, you know, it might never ever aspire to, it could get great. You know, it, it's finding their niche, it's finding their USP, yeah. it's finding the other things that matter. Now that's why soccer, football in the UK, and I believe as well in Europe, has prospered and has become what it is. And I think that's possibly maybe the, the missing key or ingredient. We've covered that. I'm going to move on now, Dan. I want to talk a little bit, because you also talked about that the, the, you coach your daughter's team, yes? Yes. Fantastic. I mean, I've got three daughters. I always remember going to watch my uh, eldest daughter uh, uh, playing in a, in, in a school match where she was the only female, only girl yeah. playing, and they couldn't believe it, you know, the, 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 <laughs> is this allowed? And it was kind of almost... Well, it was frowned upon, I'll have to be perfectly honest. Thank goodness, thank goodness we've moved at a pace. So how ins- how significant do you think the fact is that maybe gender and, and inclusivity and bringing more and more uh, girls and women in, into sport, and, and, and tell us a little bit about what, how that feels in, in, in the sports marketplace and also the soccer marketplace? Sure, sure. Yeah, so with, with my, in my daughter's program, it's, it's co-ed right now. Um, okay. Separated by by gender at all uh, right now I think um, so actually my older one is she has a tryout for a team tonight which would be her first experience on an all girls all girls team mm-hmm. um, I think one thing, especially in soccer in the US is it from my experience you know and I may be wrong here but um, you know girls have always had an opportunity to, to play soccer it's one of those sports I yeah. think where it's, it's very similar. You know, if you look at, like, girls' ice hockey and men's ice hockey or girls' across and men's across, it's it's a different game okay. uh, from, from my perspective. Yeah. Soccer, I feel like, um, you know, the tactics are similar. The opportunities were similar. You know, you look at the women's team in the 90s and early mid-2000s in the U.S. I mean, we were Fantastic. the best in the world. But yeah. that goes back to what we were saying, like, America being number one at things. I think girls played soccer maybe from the, that American perspective, because they, we were really good. We were the best team in the world, you know, and they had something to look forward to. Um, if you look at other sports in the U.S., beyond college, girls maybe don't have that, that professional rank to, 
to look forward to. Our local women's team in Boston right now, I think, is just falling apart because it's not, um, you know, it's just not um, sustainable. Um, but, you know, they've always had that opportunity because of, you know, um, that women's team with Mia Hamm, um, Brandi Chastain, you know, um, et cetera, just kind of having those idols to look up to. Um, and I think that... I don't know, am I answering your question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm fascinated, yeah. and it's a great, great response. I can talk about that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, education is at the heart of everything that almost yeah. I, I believe in, and, and, and a lot of the touch points. I mean, my show's called The Future of Sport, and it obviously, uh, yeah. because of my background, tends to have a very strongish element yeah. of, of sport business and, and, and communications but, but I think we can and it's not a tangent here I think it's very important it reflects yeah. society and everything else and the fact that uh, it's, it's great to hear what you've said and, and I think readily uh, my experience on a, a lifetime almost is that you've grasped that very strongly and, and again it might be something again because you have a professional approach and even now that you've talked about Boston, maybe not as good, it's not sustainable. But there has always been professional acknowledgement yeah. in the sports sphere in the women's game, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know a lot about what's going on with the with the team in Boston. I just know that there's some issues, and I don't want to speak too much about that just because I'm, I, I don't know. Okay. I don't want to give wrong information. Um, and going back to, like, the education piece of it, right, um, you know, some college students I've spoken with, both on the men's and women's side, you know, that play, that play soccer and are in college because of soccer, you know, they've had that realization that, you know, I'm here to play soccer, but at the same time, like, soccer has that, it's a, such a small window for me. And I need to take this education thing seriously because soccer is what's allowed me to get this education. But now I need to focus on my education to continue to play soccer here in college as well as you create those more opportunities for myself after soccer is over. Yeah. You know, I think they, they have that, that, that professional approach where, like, okay, soccer, it's a small window. Yeah. i got to figure something else out um, as, as well. Um, yeah. And I think what you've also touched upon there, and it kind of nicely segues into some of the closing things I want to talk about in our interview. It's not an interview, our conversation here, Dan, today. Right. Your background in education, you did a Master's in Sport Management? I have a master's in sport management and a master's degree in higher education administration. Okay, just tell us a little bit about the background, because I'm learning all the time. We came to the party quite late. I only wrote a sports marketing management degree uh, for, for my university um, in 2009, and we were one of the only universities doing that. So tell us a little bit about both your sport management uh, degree background and, and, and also any other master's education you've been involved in, Dan. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I started my master's in sport management program um, in the fall of 2007. Uh, and it was all in, in the classroom and I was working in minor league sports at the time. Okay. And you know, I, I really wanted to work in, in sports full time. And kind of what... The, the, the classroom experience really translated to the real world experience. I mean, some of the things I learned, uh, both at the internship at work and in the classroom, were just amazing. I had professors that had worked for like Reebok for years, other sports teams for, for a long time. So they were able to bring that real world experience into the classroom. Um, but one, one thing I realized about working in sports is just it, it takes up a lot of time. I mean, there's a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work. And I was young and was starting a family and it was kind of like balancing, okay, am I going to work 80 hours a week and not see my, my kids and, and whatnot. Um, 
So I think working in sports after that was not what I wanted to do on a full-time basis. Uh, but some of just um, the skills and abilities from being in the sport management arena, in terms of like just putting in that extra effort because you, you know you're expected to do a lot. You're going to work long hours. You're going to do jobs that you're not expected to do because that's just the nature of working in sports. And I think that has helped me be successful in other areas. Um, so I'm not necessarily working in sports now full time, but just those those soft skills that maybe you wouldn't learn in other areas have really helped me um, excel. And when I got this job at, at, at Southern Hampshire University, you know, I kind of wanted to re refocus the education. Um, I love being a student. It's weird not taking any classes right now. <laughs> uh, and, and focus on that higher education area. Yeah. Um, so now I kind of have, have the best of both worlds where I'm around college students all the time. I get to go to a college campus, um, kind of get to talk sports with students, see how sports and education kind of intersect in their lives. And, um, you know, I still get to go live my, my soccer dream, you know, coaching, pushing at, at, at GPS. So it's kind of it's been a long road, but it's it's been it's definitely been um, a fun one and uh, you know, an experience that, that I've enjoyed thoroughly, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Dan, one of the things, many things that I could touch upon in the things you've said, and I'll pick up on a couple yeah. before we close today, the, the reference to soft skills I think the reference to the intersection between sport through education and then sport in other capacities in, in terms of those skill sets that you develop you know I've, I've just recently forged a very strong link with a, no, a couple of universities here in the UK and globally and one of the things that's coming out of it all the time, I mean, in fact, Bill Sutton, Dr. Bill Sutton from USF famously said in, in, a, in a recent interview, we've got to take the class out of the classroom and actually getting out there and volunteering, getting out there and forming civic, civ civic partnerships and the internship opportunities and the practitioning. The fact that you've almost brought that straight away to front of mind as one of the great advantages you were able to take from your sport management uh, program. Yeah, what do you think are some of the things that you're learning now in a, in, in a kind of more rounded, uh, maybe even a more academic kind of way in, in, in terms of education and where do you see yourself going or taking those uh, new learning experiences? Yeah, so especially in my role now, um, so I work in our learning center as an academic coordinator, but academic coaching um, is, is that like every every student, and I take this approach to the coaching the, the boys as well, like everyone's coming with a unique experience and a unique story, yeah. a unique um, kind of view on what education is, what soccer is, what they hope to get out of it. And I think it, it's, it's, it's part of my role and probably my favorite part of the role is just having those conversations and figuring out, out what that is. What is the reason that, that you're here? What are you hoping to learn and what are you hoping to do with it? Um, if you look around my office, you know, we're all working in higher education, but um, not, ma not many of us went to school to work in higher education. You know, we have different business backgrounds, sport management, um, you know, English, journalism, you know, things like that where we've all had different experiences that have brought us, brought us here. Um, where, you know, where everyone has that, that unique background, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if you were yeah. advising 
looking, um, you know, I've obviously taught at various levels throughout a long career and the, the changing landscape, the, the, the different dynamics. Uh, and the, the, if I only knew or what would I do differently or, or, or what would I give a, a, as a piece of advice say somebody was taking up a sports soccer coaching role at whatever level what kind of skill sets do you think they need and, and, and what advice would you give them if they wanted to work in that space yeah I mean obviously there's the, the soccer skills but I think being able to just communicate and relate to people it's all about relationship building and and communication and being open uh, to feedback and growth. I think the worst thing we can do is just be kind of satisfied with where we are and what we know. Um, it's always being open to feedback, communication, and just that willingness to grow and that willingness to, to learn. Like I look back now at, at how I was as a coach just last year yeah. versus how I am now. You know, and I feel like I'm a much better coach now, and I felt like that a year ago, so I imagine I'll grow and learn even more um, within the next year. And just taking advantage of opportunities, you know, like working at, a, at an institution that has both a, you know, a successful women's and men's team, you know, I'm able to just go watch them play, go watch them train, just learn from their coaches from that, that broader perspective and have those conversations um, as well. So don't be afraid to ask questions, learn, change, and, and grow, if that makes sense. I mean, what you're saying here, uh, uh, I mean, without even sounding patronising, I'm sure I don't, but I'm, I'm kind of just putting that little caveat in there. Do you know what? We get to do this every day. Yeah. This is our office, you know, yeah. the, the world of sport, the, the playing fields of the world, the, the people and the students that you get the opportunity to engage with every day. So never, ever forget that. But the other good thing about it is that, you know, you can learn so much more by taking that view that you've just stressed there. And I'm so encouraged and pleased that you made that, you know, that yeah. we're all striving. You know, you say you're a better coach, uh, and I'm sure you must be, and, you're, and I'm sure you're living it uh, just so. in this in this conversation piece that, that we're having here. I want to just maybe try and think of a couple of uh, closing elements. We've got about five minutes or so, uh, Dan, to put some closure on some of the pieces we've talked about. How good are Liverpool at the moment? Our favourite club. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> oh my God. I'll put, I'm now going over live to speak to Jürgen American Klopp. <laughs> I... Um, I joked around with my daughter on Sunday. I was like, between you and this team, I'm going to go gray when I'm 35 <laughs> years old. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're so much fun to watch, um, but they're also so frustrating to watch yeah. as well. Like, I mean, but nothing's really changed in the last couple of years. It's just, it's, I feel like it's always, it's always been that way. Um, but I mean, they're, I mean, I'm, I'm just stating the obvious here, but the, the attack is just so fun to watch. And then, as soon as Salah scored that goal on Sunday, you know, to go up 2-1 against Tottenham, I just knew, I'm like, there's 45 seconds left, something is going to happen. Because yeah. that's just what's, what <laughs> I'm used to it <laughs> at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I just kind of enjoy, we're, we're watching good football. Absolutely. Too, so kind of, kind of re remember that, like, where we're watching good soccer. I mean, yeah. those, those dark years of Hicks and Gillette, I mean, doesn't seem like that long ago, but there was just a couple seasons where it was just horrendous to watch you know i know no disrespect to joe cole but i remember when he was the big signing you know and that was like oh okay 
Yeah. So now you know we're we're getting players like like Salah and, and Mane and and Virgil Van Dijk. I mean, it's 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 just fun to watch. I mean, uh, let me. I mean, we. I, I didn't really want to go down this route because uh, I knew we'd be emotionally distraught, <laughs> and you know, I'm still in reverse at the moment and locked in a padded cell, almost thinking about you know refereeing decisions and etc. etc. <laughs> but what what is interesting, I think, you know, self fulfilling prophecies aside, or everything else, it's great football and really yeah, and, yeah. And, and the football and, and, and I'll stand and I'd argue with anybody in the world and come out the other side believing I'd won the argument that as long as we continue along that you know the margins I mean people you know I think Gary Clay often often referred to it you know the more I practice the luckier I get and the, the kind of things that are going to happen you know luck does play a part in sport now I'm not going to use that word luck but, you know, I, I think the balance, the trend, the margins are so minute and we only need a very, very small uh, tipping point to take us from a very, very good um, to, to, to totally not necessarily dominating him, but certainly winning our fair share. Let's kind of just put some closures on okay. what has been a great, fascinating interview. Really, really um, delighted to have had the opportunity, Dan, to speak to you on so many, so many uh, different levels. The world of sport... You know, I, I often refer, and I didn't want to really get into a kind of social, political, cultural space here, but I, I think it's almost, not inevitable, but I think it's almost essential that we do, you know, because I firmly believe that, you know, the marketing belief would be, you know, America's American business people are winners, they're competitive, uh, they have no embarrassment or whatever in, 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 in you know in pursuing the dollar etc etc that's not always been the case here in, in, in my own domain and, and maybe still there is a, a kind of resistance to that in some ways but I firmly believe that you need to be good at marketing you need to be good at business and sport should embrace that but I think where sport and maybe soccer to come full circle almost and maybe what Americans need to do is to get this balance better and and, and you know more entrenched in this is that you can also market for good so a lot of good causes, a lot of good things, developing people skills, developing respect and, uh, and, 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 you know, respect for your opponent and so on. So what are kind of your thoughts, not a philosophy, but what are some of your kind of um, personal beliefs in how good sport needs to be and what sport's all about, Dan? Yeah, I mean... You just touched upon it, right? Like that that respect thing, and I think I talked about this earlier. You know, where the competition or the competitiveness comes out in me sometimes. But you know, I make, I make it a point after every practice just to tell the boys like, "Thank you for coming. It was awesome to see you. Great okay. job, son." You know, yeah. um, that, that that belief, like sport. I think maybe sometimes there's too much emphasis on on that winning, and we we play sports to feel good. Like, why do I still play soccer at 32 years old? It's because I don't care if I go out and win that men's league game. I feel I play soccer because it feels good to play soccer, and it, I like and I enjoy it, and I, I want that to be the reason why my players come to training every week is because they enjoy it, not because we might win this tournament. And now the work we put in may breed winning, it may not. Um, you know, but I make it a point, like I said, to thank them for coming. After every practice, after every game, 
everyone coming off the field gets a high five for me. You know, every one of their opposite, opposed the uh, opposing team's players gets not like a high five or a knuckle pound, but like a handshake. And I look him in the eye and say, good job, good job, you know, and try to have those conversations with the coach. Because at the end of the day, we're all kind of doing the same thing, right? right? We're just continuing that love for, for, for the game of soccer. And um, I think that that's way more important than, than anything. And, uh, I mean, Dan, I'm going to just finally say, because we're just kind of coming up to a deadline piece for me here, but if I had to stop at any point, and, and then if we had to reinforce uh, the kind of beliefs that we both share and have really come out in this interview today, yeah. that that is, you know, be good at what we do, but recognise that sport is good and, and, and that yeah. kind of respect. I respect you enormously, Dan. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you for the very first time live, as it were. We'll keep in touch and all the best for everything that you do and a special shout out, obviously, to all of the students and anybody you're involved with there. Many thanks, Dan. Thank you so much, Alan. Take care. Bye.